<laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful, chilly day that you have given us to come here together, your children, to come to this place and worship you together. We thank you, Lord, that we are in the family of God. Nothing is better than that. We thank you that this is the day you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And we thank you for your love and grace and mercy. We thank you for the anointing that breaks every yoke. We thank you, Lord, for loving us so much and for using me today to slow it down and to teach, to disciple your children as you have instructed me and so many others to do. And we thank you, Lord, that they will receive the seed of this manna into good ground and that they will nurture it, protect it, help it to take root and bear fruit in their lives, that they'll be healed everywhere they hurt, empowered by your promises. They'll feel the love of God and prosper in every way. And then with that same help they receive, they'll go and help others. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we are learning to appropriate, I like that word, appropriate all that God has for us. Amen. And how to drive out the spiritual darkness that tries continually to steal, kill, and destroy all the things that God has paid such a high price to provide us with. Amen. Amen. Things like our peace, our love, our joy, our physical bodies, our finances, our relationships. And as we learn to lay hold of and to protect, not to earn, but to protect the victory that Jesus has already provided, we come to realize that so much So much of our Christian life and our Christian walk depends upon our outlook, our attitude, the way we perceive and handle our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in our day-to-day lives. Amen? Amen? Amen. (laughs) I want to turn to the book of Hebrews today. You know, there's five T's. I know every time there's five or something, I'm aware of it, right? Because that's the grace number. So so there's five T's back there. First and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, then Titus. So all your T's, and then you got a one-page book called Philemon, and then you'll find Hebrews, just some great masterpiece by an unknown author. I think I know, but I'm not going to get into that. Nevertheless, we're going to look in the book of Hebrews today because the purpose of the book of Hebrews is, first of all, to establish that Jesus is preeminent. He supersedes all other beings and revelations of God. Amen. It's to prove that we have a better covenant now with better promises, and it's, it's written to help those old... Uh, those old Israelite or those old Hebrew or Jewish believers 
what we'd call today Messianic Jews who had come to believe in Jesus to help them to, to change over from the old to the new. Amen. Give them a little shove. We need that sometime, huh? And to move them not only mentally, but experientially. And so, I want to help them. And the, the Hebrews um, author also wants to show us that Jesus is greater than any angelic being. There, 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 there was and there is people who still worship angels. We are not supposed to do that. They are ministering spirits sent here to help you. Amen. 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 But people were worshiping angels and they were trying to show in this book that there's no angel as great as Jesus. As a matter of fact, He created them. And if you look in the first chapter of John and in Colossians, the first chapter, you can see some evidence of this. But He's God's Son. We know this. And because of that, He's God's heir. He was the sole heir. And now, you are co-heirs with Him. Amen. You were adopted into the family of God, so you have the same rights and privileges as the natural born child himself. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. So Jesus is, he is, he has a greater power and authority than any angels. And a matter of fact, on the day he was born, God instructed the angels to worship him, didn't they? So why would they worship someone who was their equal? Well, it just seems silly even to talk about this, of course, to you. But trust me, there are folks out there that do some weird things. There is a whole group of door knockers out there that don't say that Jesus is God. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe that, specifically, that Jesus was an angel uh, and the archangel Michael incarnate. Now... That's sad, folks. It's not only sad, but it's heresy. And it's sacrilege. We have to be careful of these things. That's why I say I'm an equal opportunity offender. I don't want to hurt nobody. But I sure don't want those kind of lies hurting God's people. You know? So we can't entertain anything like that. The book of Hebrews also contains a great deal of admonishment and instructions for the early believers, especially Jewish believers. I keep going on about this, and I'm going to make a point as to why. But another thing that the book of Hebrews does is it shows us, and we're going to, I'm going to, we're going to be a little bit of solemn teaching today, but that's what it is, is teaching. And it's supposed to make you think, I'm going to try and provoke you to action. Amen? Yeah. And it's not really mostly for y'all. By the way, thank you and hello to you new folks in Singapore poor and in uh, Frankfurt, Germany. And, uh, and all of you in England and in, uh, in Canada. We love you. Everybody all over who hears these messages either now or in the future. You are here with us in spirit, and we are praying for you, and we love you too. Amen. But the book of Hebrews instructs us that entering the rest of God 
isn't automatic. Yeah, usually goes over about like that. <laughs> That's all right. Andrew taught me this, and he warned me it'd go over like that. <laughs> even after entering into the kingdom of God, even after being born again, we have a place of rest in the Lord that we have to, the Bible says, labor to enter into. That's always seems a little backwards to me. How do you labor to rest? But there is a place that we are supposed to enter into that we labor to enter his rest. And we have to believe just as with the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. So this is the, the picture that this, this, this book paints so that people have a visual or an understanding of what they're talking about. But when, when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, which is a type and shadow of Him bringing us up out of the world, out of our life of sin, into this new life. Amen. But He didn't intend to just bring them out of Egypt and, leave, and take them out into the desert and let them die like they started complaining at the first water hole they came to. That was never His intention. God intended not only to bring them out, but to bring them all the way into the promised land. Amen. But it didn't happen for a whole generation of them because of their unbelief. Isn't that right? And they use, they use this as an example for us here. The Israelites who came out of Egypt, they didn't have the gospel preached to them in the sense that they were told about Jesus by name and that he died for their sins on the cross. But they were shown and preached the gospel in type and shadow, weren't they? So they were given the Passover lamb when they were in Egypt. They weren't delivered out of bondage in Egypt because of any holiness of their own. Not because they were good or in good standing with God, but it's because they partook of the Passover meal and the blood of the Lamb on the mantle and the doorpost. Amen. Amen. Right? Isn't that why the death angel passed over? Yes. yes. It's the same with us. Now, only now we have the real sacrifice, the real Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ Himself. And that Passover Lamb they had was only a type and shadow. Brothers and sisters, God's word never fails. Never fails. It is eternal. And not one promise will fall to the ground. But for it to work for us, we have to believe it, don't we? We have to believe it. I mean, it's always been true, hadn't it? But it don't do much good sitting on the nightstand, does it? God's word has all the power... All, all the provision that we'll ever need for this life and godliness, everything has already been provided, but it's not going to be released until we believe it. Yes. It's just a fact. Now, I'm not just talking about Jews today or Messianic Jews. There are a lot of people that know God's word. They know it's true. They pray for its power to be released in their lives. 
But it won't happen through desire alone, folks. We have to believe it. And the truth is, and this stings a little bit, because it stung me a little bit yesterday when I was thinking about this. But a lot of people are afraid to believe. Because they, they know, if they know the Bible, that true faith demands action, doesn't it? Faith without works is dead, what the Bible says. So it's easier to just pray and then if nothing happens, to say, well, we're just waiting on God. Just waiting on God. Well, I got news for you. Most of the time, he's just waiting on us to believe. The book of Hebrews says 12 times in it, let us. And I want to talk about that a little bit. And then it, you know, I always say when you see a therefore in the Bible, find out what it's there for. A lot of therefores in the book of Hebrews. But there's a dozen let us statements. And I'll probably just talk about one of those today. But 12 times it says let us. And each one represents a, a choice of the believer. A, a decision. A, a, a matter of resolve in their own mind. Because it let. And then also us represents that it's an acknowledgement that they're not in it alone. An acknowledgement of unity. That we're not by ourselves in this. That we are a part of something greater than ourselves alone. We are part of this wonderful body of Christ. Amen. Amen. But I believe that we, Christians today, I mean, and not, not specifically here. If the shoe fits, wear it. If it's, it's like eating fish, <laughs> eat the flesh and spit out the bones. But Christians today, we, we have the same, let me just say, we have the same benefits of the early Hebrew believers. Even more so, really. And, but we also have the same problems that they did. The same problems that go along with those benefits. Because, well, just for starters, the Hebrew believers were different. All the epistles in the back... Besides this book, Hebrews, and the ones written by Peter and James, were all written to non-Jewish believers. To, and Jewish believers had the, the benefits that pagan believers or, or believers from Gentile backgrounds didn't enjoy. They had, for, for starters, they had been delivered or freed for centuries from the bondage to the terrible sin of idolatry and uh, and false cults and things like that. Although some of them failed, and even some of their kings, if you read the Bible, failed miserably at these things. But as a whole, as a body, they had been delivered from that through the knowledge of God. They had the truth of God. They had they had the law of Moses, which warned them against these things over and over and over again. So they knew it was wrong and they, they had that ability to, to stay away from that because we know God and He says it's bad. We know there's one true God and stay away from all that other stuff. Well, the rest of the world didn't have benefit of that. You see what I'm saying? They also knew the Scriptures. They had the Torah. They had the first five books of the Bible. They enjoyed a revelation of, 
of, uh, of God that, that, that non-Jews didn't have. They, they had a knowledge um, of experience with, with the temple, with uh, the sacrifices, and the forms of worship, and many things that uh, they could have used to strengthen and, and purify their faith because they all point to Jesus in type and shadow, don't they? But most of them didn't make use of these things, so the writer of Hebrews had to say some really hard words to them. Let's take a look in Hebrews chapter 5, and starting at the 11th verse through 14. And I'll just read to you, that's Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now you can circle that and underline it and put an exclamation point because I've taught extensively on that, haven't I? And I've prayed and I've been seeking God and for the uh, last, last uh, part of last year, one of the big things that God was, I was seeking God about <clears throat> and uh, desperately pressing through the crowd to touch the hem of His garment regarding was hearing. Amen. I wanted a, a wise and discerning heart. A hearing heart is literally what that translates into, what King Solomon prayed for, so that I can hear him better, because I know he's always talking. Amen. But they, it says, Did you have become dull of hearing? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The writer is basically saying, you're so immature. Anyone who continues... To live on milk when a baby's born, it's normal for them to live on milk for a while. But they're supposed to graduate off of that, aren't they? Onto solid food. If they don't, then they enter into uh, what we call a sort of a state of arrested development. And it's not a good thing. It's not a normal thing. So what, what they're saying is that these people had failed to meditate on these things and and, and give spiritual things priority in their lives. And so they failed to magnify the scriptures and the truth of God's word and to give it proper position or placement in their lives. And because of this condition of them being lulled into a false sense of security or becoming complacent, we would call it, um, Hebrews contained more solemn warnings of the condition of falling away than any other book in the Bible. There's, there's five places that if you're jotting these down or you're going back and studying this, you can look them up. I don't have time to turn to them all. I'll just mention them to you so you'll know uh, in passing so, so that to save time. But the, there is, in Hebrews chapter 2, the first few verses... God warns against drifting away. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, warns them against unbelief. In 
Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, warns them against basically spiritual laziness. And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 and 36, warns them against lacking a confident endurance in their race. And in 1225, the warning is simply reject against rejecting God's warnings. <laughs> now, let's try to make the transition from then to now. So, now, instead of the Jewish believers, or what, like I said, what we call Messianic Jews, which is a wonderful thing, and it's happening more and more and more, just like so many Muslims are coming into the kingdom of God. You know, they're having visions and dreams and of Jesus Christ and they're coming into Christianity by by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands. In the same way with the Jewish people. And we thank God for that, that they have revelation that, that Jesus really was the Messiah. And they're still Jewish in heritage, but they are Christians. They are believers. They are disciples of Jesus. That's why we call them Messianic Jews, because they believe that Jesus was and is the Messiah. Amen. Amen. But instead of warning the Messianic Jews, like the writer of Hebrews was 2,000 years ago, today the same warning needs to be given to us. Professing Christians and Christian nations all over the world who are in the same condition. Amen or oh me. <laughs> and especially the Western culture, I would say. And I'm not picking on us, but sometimes everything God has blessed us with can get in the way. Anything that comes between you and God is a God. You see? Let's just look at it for a second. So the same warnings and the same instructions that they gave to these early Jewish believers, they say, well, I don't, I don't really think that's accurate. We would never knowingly worship the occult. Um, but, and we are familiar with the scriptures to some extent, though, don't you think? Yes. I think Old and, and the New Covenant. Christians worldwide, they have some idea of these things that we're talking about, just like they did then. We know not to worship the occult. We do know something about the Bible, even if we only went on Easter and <laughs> funerals and weddings. <laughs> you hear something living where we live. Amen. We're in the Bible Belt. And we know a little bit about church and church services and communion and prayer and sermons, which you could get some really great spiritual gems if you were just to protect and nurture them and allow them to take root in their life, right? We know about religious ceremonies. Believe me, people know, they, may, they don't know anything about Jesus to speak of, but they know they want a preacher to come to their funeral or to their wedding. 
And I don't know which is worse. <laughs> when it, <laughs> but I've uh, met some bridezillas. <laughs> and, you know, I've had a lot of people invite me to both. Funerals and the wedding. But they had no intention of Jesus being invited into that marriage or putting him at the center of that marriage. And if they missed all their appointments with me, which I require quite a few, which runs most of them off. But sometimes I went ahead with it anyway. And they're quite astonished at the sermon or the vows. All about Jesus. And what a proper marriage looks like. Amen. Because, because of that, you know, the church has the same divorce rate as the world. But if you're a true disciple, a true believer, and you really put Jesus at the center of your marriage, he has a 100% success rate. There's no doubt. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm thinking about something right now. But it's as though the same warning that was given to those Hebrew believers 2,000 years ago has to be given to non-Jewish believers today. We can get so used to things that familiarity breeds contempt. You ever heard that? terminology you know Jesus had that problem we all say man I wish I could have walked with Jesus well probably easier to believe in him now you know the people in his own household had problems believing and in his hometown you see what happened when he went there they wanted to they got faith started to rise up and then wait a minute isn't this the carpenter's son and this is mom and sisters and brothers here with us. Where did he get this authority in any way? It, just, it all went downhill from there, didn't it? <laughs> we begin to take for granted the things that God has made available to us. We don't appreciate it. It doesn't produce the lasting fruit in our lives that God expects and requires from us. So we need the same warnings against drifting away, against being negligent um, and spiritually lazy, against being presumptuous about God's grace and taking Him for granted. I don't want this to be me. I don't want this to be my loved ones or my family or any of you or anyone that I know. But I'm afraid sometimes, in many cases, it is. Truth be known. I had a... I had a call on, on Friday from a friend I grew up with and, uh, and um, another friend that I was very close to uh, passed away the night before and a, his daughter found him just sitting in a chair. He liked to sit in and smoke his cigarettes out in his garage and uh, and uh, 
You know, he all, the, the, the other good friend, who was a good friend of both of us, too, he, he almost, we were talking about something else on the phone, and then before he hung up, oh, by the way, and he just almost said it as in passing. And then he had to get, get off the phone, and I was just sitting there, you know, my heart was a little broken, and I remembered that a couple of days prior, I had gone to pick up my phone to call him. And I hadn't talked to him in a little while. I tried to reach him many uh, times about the Lord. And, uh, you know, when <laughs> I, I lived a pretty rough life. Matter of fact, I might have been all there. It was like, I was thinking, where's all the, the guys that we, because there's like 50 of us that, these boys that we grew up with that were so close, you know. But, it's hard for me to reach some of them because I might have been the craziest one in the bunch. And so he was sort of always hard to reach about the Lord. And so instead of picking the phone up, I just walked over to the sink and I was looking out the window and I started just praying and asking the Lord about how to be more effective and how to how to reach some of these folks in my life that they, the more you try to reach them, it seems like the further they, they go away from God instead of turning to Him, you know. And I know that's the heart and, and, and uh, hurt of, of every minister and really every believer that wants to share Jesus, you know, because you get excited and on fire for the Lord and you, you say, oh man, I wait till everybody gets a load of this. And then you go and get shot down about a hundred times and you <laughs> then you have to begin to find your strength in the Lord. Amen. But I didn't ever call him that day and I wish I had. Wish I had. But you know, I, I don't know. Maybe he got it. Maybe he made things right. I'm, I'm glad that's not my job. You know, and I pray that he has entered into God's eternal rest and that I do see him on the forever side when I get home to be with Jesus. My prayer is to see everybody that I know and love, loving Jesus. But I want to look, this has been a little bit tough so far. But I want to look at the remedy because God never points out problems in the, in the Bible without providing us with the remedy. Amen? So the, the let us things that I talked about, there's, there's a dozen of them. And like I said, I might, I might get to one of them today. But let us, let us explore the treasures that are hidden in the Word of God for us to find. Amen? So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, and I'll show you the first one. It says, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, there's that, there's that awesome word that gets you started on your digging and research and Bible studies every time, finding out what it's there for. But it says, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it or to fallen short 
some versions say. I'll read it again. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Amen. So why fear? Why fear, you say? That, that, that doesn't sound like grace. That doesn't sound like grace. Loved ones, it is particularly about grace. It has everything to do with grace. The grace of God is already established, already available to all who believe. This is about neglecting the grace of God. About not putting our faith to work to obtain the promises and provision provided by that grace. Why fear? Because of their presumption. Because of their false sense of security. Because of their spiritual laziness. Because they hadn't taken advantage of the privileges and blessings that they were entitled to. And that Jesus had paid the premium price for, in a sense. The writer of Hebrews gives an example to these folks as to why they should fear. And looking in light of the Hebrew history and the the facts that we talked about and all the benefits and privileges that had been exacted upon them, we can understand. And it's based on a psalm where God had commented on their attitude and conduct during their time in the desert and wilderness. And so look right now in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 15. And I'm just going to read that to you quickly. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 through 15. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened in the deceitfulness of sin, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So, what was their main failure? They failed to hear and obey God's voice. That's right. They failed to hear and obey God's voice. They were dull of hearing. And I'm so glad. I, you know, we've talked about this a lot. Because I, you know, one of my mentors, he helped me so much in ministry years ago. When, when I used to always be 
begging the Lord to give me word for his children and, and uh, spent so much time just trying to to figure out what he wanted to say and then then this this pastor friend of mine who's much older than me he just said just just feed him what God's been feeding you and so I do that <laughs> and so it makes it easy amen, amen. because because I have a voracious appetite when it comes to God and so when I'm telling you these things it's generally things that God's talking to me about amen so they had failed to hear his voice and be obedient to it they were dull of hearing they were content to get the things of God second hand through Moses weren't they they were they had the Ten Commandments. They had the sacrifices. They had the tabernacle in the wilderness. They had religion. But they were satisfied with just that. The external things. When really, all that God wanted was a relationship. Do you see that? The one thing that could have truly saved them from disaster and caused them to enter God's rest, they were missing. Hearing God's voice. This theme, folks, is constant throughout the Bible. Anybody who says that they can't truly hear God or that God doesn't talk to people, they probably just haven't read their Bible because it's an underlying theme throughout the entire Bible, isn't it? And didn't Jesus Himself say the same thing to His disciples in the New Testament? John chapter 10, verse 27. A very familiar scripture. Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. Jesus was very clear. He referred to them as my sheep. He's talking about those disciples, those people who truly believed in Him and loved Him. That's who His sheep are. I'm just going to close here, but I'm, I'm... The pattern Jesus is talking about here, they, they understood it very well. This pattern of the, the Middle Eastern shepherd. That's how it works. Sheep, you know, you drive cattle. Sheep, you lead. They follow. The, the, the Middle Eastern shepherd, he would, he would call to them and they knew his voice. They wouldn't follow another shepherd. They would just ignore him. They didn't trust him. They didn't know him. He wasn't their shepherd. He wasn't the one who took care of them and protected them and provided for them. So they didn't listen to anybody else's voice. But when he hollered out, he just started walking and they followed him. And that's what he's talking about here. That needs to be our testimony, by the way. Amen. Amen. We should be thankful that in the Bible, the Holy Spirit has given us all these really negative examples too, though. 
you know, I always say, why, why does, you know, God didn't put all these mistakes that everybody made in the Bible. We like to laugh at Peter and make jokes and things like that because it makes us feel better about ourselves. But God didn't put it, the Holy Spirit didn't put that in here to embarrass them. It was to help you at their expense, by the way. Well, you know, they don't mind now if it helps us here. Amen. <laughs> we don't want to duplicate the same mistakes that they made in the desert. So it's good to study and, and find out how God felt with and dealt with those things so that we don't make those same mistakes. They were too consumed with the externals instead of that, that relationship that he was after. So they got complacent. They just felt like they were okay. And I talk to people every day like that. And they'll tell you why. And most of the time they're looking around. Well, I'm better than the Christian that lives next door. I try to live by the Ten Commandments. I've heard that so many times. And then they can tell you one or two of them. And they brought it broke those too, really. <laughs> Truth be known. That's why I love the example of David in the Bible. Because David didn't have all the answers. I, I love to study his life. I was just in my Bible study. I was in the Old Covenant last week. And I was just studying David's life. And, I, and I, it, one of the things, the reasons that I do is because God called him a man after his own heart. And I want to know what that looks like. And I find that David had a lot of flaws. He had a lot of mistakes that he made. He wasn't perfect. But he loved God. He wanted to please God. He lived a repentant life. And God loved that about him. And he called him a man after his own heart. Folks, in the same way, we need to encourage each other. Every day. To strive to have an intimate, passionate, personal relationship with the Lord. Where Jesus can speak to us directly and personally. Where we can hear God's voice and follow Him. There's a lot of noise in this world, isn't there? And most of, most of it's designed to distract you from hearing God. When I was 15 years old, I had a 71 Camaro. And I remember when we pulled that thing off the back of that old uh, shyster car lot. It had four, four flat tires, different tires and wheels. And about a quarter inch of dirt all over the whole thing. The upholstery wasn't too good, but man, I love that car. Tavana and I, we that was our... That was our car, you know, in high school, and uh, she always wanted me to get another one, but <clears throat> now they're so expensive, you can't hardly touch one, but <laughs> but its condition was a little rough, and so it, <clears throat> my grandpa, though, he helped me get that thing purring like a kitten, and that old 350 was in great shape, and I love that car, but one day I remember <clears throat> taking it to a mechanic. And I let him look at it. And uh, 
he looked at it for a few minutes and went over some things. Then, then he'd come down and sit inside the car with me. And he pointed at that radio and he said, there's your problem right there. And I said, well, I, I put it in myself. I think I wired it you know, right. There's nothing wrong with it, you know. That was the best part of it to me. We used to say, twist off the knob and beat on the dash, you know. Had to have those cassette tapes. Good little radio. He said, no, that's your problem right there. He said, because you have the music turned up so loud it's drowning out when the car is trying to tell you something wrong with it, you see. (laughs) At the age of 15, I knew a whole lot more than he did, though, so I didn't accept his wisdom. Rejected it, but he was right, you know. We need to turn up the Jesus, folks, and turn down the world. It doesn't necessarily mean by reading the Bible. But how many of you know I really want you to read your Bible? It's a a really good thing to read your Bible. But Jesus didn't say, my sheep read the Bible. He didn't say, my sheep pray and fast continuously. Although, all those are good things. And and I think if you really get to know the Lord, He'll he'll draw you into those things more and more. Because He'll create a hunger in you to know Him more when you realize how much He really loves you and you'll want to know everything about Him. And He'll draw you to these other things. But He said, my sheep hear my voice. I minister about this particular subject quite often. And I hope that this is a strong reminder to all of us. Because that's what's going to assure you entrance into God's eternal rest is hearing God's voice. You know it? And on a personal note, that's what's going to allow you to promise me that you'll meet me. On the forever side with Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for this. For your word. Thank you for your love and grace and mercy. Thank you for helping us to receive this truth. And to meditate on it. And to make it our own. And to look into the righteous mirror of the word of God. And. And just see where we're at. And help us to hear your voice more clearly, Lord. Help us to seek you and find you when we seek you with our whole heart, Lord. As is your promise. We thank you, Lord, that you're you're faithful. You're always talking. Help us to get our receivers straightened out and to hear you clearly. So that we know exactly what you want us to do. How you want us to be. And we can appreciate all that you died to provide us with for this life and godliness until we see you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah.